And welcome to another episode of the Skylabs Vintage Audio Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be going over our six favorite entry-level receivers from the 70s. We've got a really good range of receivers on this list. Some started around 200 and they go all the way up to about 600. They're all within about six watts of each other. All of these have the sound quality, build quality, and repairability I think you're looking for when purchasing a stereo. So hang out with us as we get into our list of the six best entry-level receivers from the 70s. Thanks for listening. And kicking off our list in the number six position, we've got the Sony 6036. And the Sony STR 6036 was manufactured between 1971 to 1974. And we've got a whopping 14 watts per channel with this receiver. Do not let that fool you. The difference between 14 watts and the largest wattage receiver on this list at 20 is really almost nothing. And before we get into the pros of the Sony STR6036, I do want to emphasize we are talking about the non-A version. There are two different versions of this receiver. There's the 6036 and the 6036A. And if it were me looking to purchase one of these, I would definitely avoid the A version as they have proprietary output transistors that are unobtainium at this point. The non-A version used a standardized transistor, which makes the repairability on these much more successful and cheaper. And at the time of making this list, there were three Sony STR6036s available on eBay. They were all under $200 with shipping. Hard to beat that. And the pros with the STR6036, you've got a really nice wood cabinet here. I think the looks on these are incredible. I like the smoked glass with the green lights behind it. I think they sound incredible. They're built really well. And this, in my opinion, is when Sony was making some of the best electronics on the market. In my opinion, you just cannot go wrong with a 6036. And the negatives I came up with the 6036 would definitely be the speaker terminals that are screw down style. I cannot stand those. I definitely suggest getting spade connectors if you own one of these or are planning on getting one of these. And my second negative would be there's only one tape input on this receiver where four of the six of the other receivers on this list have two. So you're getting one less input. If you're planning on having three or more line level inputs, such as a, a CD player or a streamer, cassette deck, those types of things, you might want to look elsewhere as you can only hook up two line level devices to this receiver. And coming in at number five, we've got the Yamaha CR200 built between 1976 and 1977 boasting a massive 16 watts per channel. And the pros with the Yamaha CR200, these are really, really well made. In my opinion, these look like they sound. It's nice and clean and detailed. They've got your usual inputs and outputs, and they also have a standard loudness control. This is not normal for Yamahas. A lot of Yamahas have variable loudness control, and some people do not like that. So if, if you like Yamaha equipment, but you don't like the loudness variable, uh, this one's got a nice little switch on, on and off, and it makes that super easy. And the only negatives to the Yamaha CR200, in my opinion, Yamaha like to use big circuit boards. And unfortunately, with larger circuit boards, and because of the heat generated by these amplifiers, they have a tendency to bow a little bit. And that's when you start getting hairline cracks or pulled solder joints or stuff like that. So, And while it's definitely not the biggest board I've ever seen, it's definitely the largest circuit board of the six units we're gonna go over today. So, 
and take that for what it is. Some of you might think I'm reaching for something negative to look for, but I think any technician that looks in there and sees that large board knows that they're gonna have to do a little bit of pushing and prodding and maybe check some of the solder connections or look for hairline fractures as over time with the heat generated, it might be an issue. There is no optional wood cabinet with these. The other negative would be these are a little bit on the rare side. At the time we made this list, there weren't any available on eBay. However, I would estimate if you do find one, I would expect to pay anywhere between 200 to 300, depending on the level of service. But don't let that keep you from looking. They do come around. And if you get one, the quality's there, the sound's there. It's all there in the Yamaha CR200. And coming in at the number four spot, we've got the Harman Kardon 330C. The 330C was manufactured between 1976 and 1977. And this receiver has 20 watts per channel. And at the time of making this list, there were four Harman Kardon 330Cs available on eBay. And they were ranging between $200 to $400, depending on their condition and level of service. It's definitely not a secret at this point how much I love this era of Harman Kardon. I think this series was their peak for receivers in the C series. The 330 is the baby. It's the only one that's not dual mono and maybe the reason why it's a little bit further down in the list. However, there are still a lot of really positive things to say about the 330C. They definitely hit above their 20 watt per channel weight, in my opinion. I love the looks of these. I think they're unique. I like the curved smoked glass that goes over the top. I think they sound incredible. They've got a nice clean sound. As somebody that owned one of these for several years and used it as my daily driver, I kind of disagree with a lot of people that say these are warm sounding. I think these are very detailed and more accurate than warm, but that's just my opinion. With the 330C, you still get the great build quality, the repairability, all that good stuff of this entire line. It's just in a smaller package with less wattage. And once again, you cannot let that 20 watts per channel fool you. In that I doubt most people would wanna be in a room with one of these with a really efficient set of speakers cranked up. There's definitely plenty of power to get the cops called on you if that's your goal. And I do have a couple negatives with the 330C, and the main one is the faceplate. It is very, very thin aluminum. Unfortunately, a lot of times when you do find a 330C, there's damage to the faceplate as they are extra thin. It really doesn't take much at all to put a nice crease or a good sized dent in the faceplate of a 330C. It might be the thinnest faceplate made in the 70s. So if you got a nice faceplate, protect that thing, because there's not a lot of them out there. And with the way people are shipping stuff like crazy anymore, you just really wanna make sure you're being ultra careful with that faceplate. And the second negative for the 330C, there is no optional wood cabinet with these. So if you're looking for a receiver from the 70s and you want it to be housed in a nice wood cabinet, unfortunately, you're just gonna to have to build it yourself. And just real quick, if you are enjoying the content, we really hope you'll head over to skylabsaudio.com forward slash shop. There you'll find lots of really cool Skylab shirts, Grado products, custom speaker stands, and vinyl accessories. We are always adding new items to the store, so please check back often, and we thank you very much. And coming in at number three on our list, we've got the Sansui 350A. The 350A was manufactured between 1970 and 1974. Like the Harman Kardon before we just talked about, it has 20 watts per channel. 
And at the time of making this list, there were three available, anywhere between 300 to 400. And the pros for the 350A would be, they've got a really nice wood cabinet. They're laid out really well. For those of you out there that like the warmer sound, definitely check out a 350. All the components on the inside are easy to access. That's always a good thing for technicians and cuts down on repair costs. And we do have a couple negatives for the Sansui 350A, a couple minor ones, and one of those being there's only one tape input on the 350A. So if you do plan on having more than two line level sources, this might not be the right receiver for you. And the other negative would be these are known to have problematic transistors in the phono preamp section and the tone controls, so much so that we just replace them every time we get one. It's not that all the receivers on this list aren't susceptible to such type failures. It's just that we've seen this so many times with this unit that we just go ahead and change them. I think there's only four, maybe six um, that need changed out. So really, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. And it shouldn't be a very expensive service to have done. It's just something that we've seen several times. So those are definitely the things to keep in mind. If you are looking for a Sansui 350A, definitely minor negatives in the grand scheme of things. But those are just our negatives for the Sansui 350A. And coming into the number two spot, we've got the Pioneer SX535. The 535 was manufactured between 1974 and 1976. It's got 20 watts per channel. And at the time of making this list, get ready for this. There were 16 SX535s available on eBay. Five of them were parts units and the other 11 were working. And these ranged from $200 to $550. And the pros with the Pioneer SX535 definitely has to be the amount of these units sold. The fact that there were 16 of these units available at the time of making this list goes to show you how readily available parts will be if you need one, and you're gonna need one. We're all gonna need parts. So the more units sold just means the more repairability. The other pros for the 535 would be the build quality. And again, this series and the series that follows it, the 50 series, in my opinion, these are the best Pioneer receivers ever made. And some of you might say, well, why not the 450 for the series that comes after it? And really a lot of that reason comes down to the power switch on the 450. It is a problematic switch and unfortunately they built the speaker selector into it, making it really hard to find. Definitely a big drawback to the entry level receivers of the 50 series, however, with the 535, I feel like the negatives are easier to overcome than with the SX450, even though I think the SX450 is a great receiver. And what are the negatives, you ask? It's the black-legged transistors that kind of plague this whole series. However, you can still get replacements for those transistors, and there's not a lot of them. So it's a very simple service that needs to get done when those black-legged transistors do become an issue. Maybe find a technician now have them change them out before it becomes an issue. And that's the only negative, in my opinion, for the Pioneer SX535. And coming in at the number one spot, and the first time this manufacturer has made the top spot, we have the Marantz 2015. And the Marantz 2015 was manufactured between 1973 and 1975. We've got a big 15 watts per channel with this one. And at the time of making this list, there were three for sale ranging from $450 to $600, depending on condition and level of service. 
definitely the most expensive unit on the list. And I know we've talked about the Marantz tax several times already, but it is definitely alive and well in the Marantz 2015. And one interesting thing about the Marantz 2015 is there's actually two versions with the same model number. You've got the four button and you've got the five button. And from what I can see, the four button is definitely the more common, the five button being more rare. All three of those 2015s that were for sale on eBay when we made this list were the four button version. And so you're probably saying, well, what's that fifth button for? It's a high pass filter. That's all it is. I don't know if this increases the value of the five button version, and it probably does because it's got something the other one doesn't. But if you're not familiar with what a high pass filter does, it really is used to mitigate pops and clicks or really tape hiss if you're either recording to tape or playing back tape. Not a feature I've ever used on a receiver, but if a high pass filter is something that you like, then you might wanna look for the five button version of this. If not, maybe save some money and get the four. And the pros with the Marantz 2015, you've got that classic iconic Marantz look that everybody loves. You've got the option for an original wood cabinet if you want, or you can even get a custom newly made cabinet. You've got that warm Marant sound that everybody talks about. And I've said this before, but everybody I know that is a huge Marantz fan that owns several of them, from the large ones to the small ones, all swear by the sound of these low wattage receivers and their integrateds. Most Marantz super fans and collectors generally agree that these receivers are the best sounding units in their entire lineup. So take that for what it's worth. Just know that I have several of these customers and they really feel really strongly about this. This isn't just a, well, it kind of sounds better. They will say, I don't even listen to my 2270. I would rather listen to my 2015 or my 1030 integrated. So it is what it is. I just think it's a testimony to the sound quality that these 1015s have. And I think the price of these reflects it. The Marantz 2015 is almost double, if not triple, most of the other units on this list. And really, they have the same amount of inputs, outputs, and wattage. So, and the only negative I could come up with with the 2015 is the price. And I'm not sure it's even a justified negative as the market dictates the value. If people are finding that much value in this particular unit, then that's what it's worth. It's not like it's brand new and there's an MSRP of it. Everybody's demand of a 2015 is what's causing them to sell for $600. So why I'm going to go ahead and put it in the negatives for the 2015, I really don't think it's justified, but it is what it is. That's our list for our favorite entry-level receivers from the 70s. And thanks for checking out another episode of the Skylapse Vintage Audio Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the channel so you don't miss any of our future episodes. Also, if you enjoy the episode, like to support the channel, head over to skylabsaudio.com forward slash shop. Lots of really cool t-shirts, platter mats, Grado products, all kinds of good stuff there. Go check it out and we appreciate it.